join me in reading the Word of God today. Uh, We're reading Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, before we jump in, there's um, three, three literary um, contexts that I would like us to look at. Now, some of you guys joined the hermeneutics or the reading the Bible, how to read the Bible class in um, the fall. And this was probably one of the topics that was touched about. I wasn't there, so I'm hoping it was. Um, but literary context. And literary context is going to give us an insight into what we are reading. Um, so three points I want us to look at before we jump in. So the first one is conjunctu- conjunct- conjunctive adverbs. I knew I was going to mess up on the word, but I'm just embracing it. Conjunctive adverbs. Paul likes to use these quite a bit. And the one in this one is the therefore. This therefore is connecting what last week's conversation was into this week's. So they're not two separate conversations. It's one conversation. It's one big thought. But how this last week's into this week's is going to go deeper. So the therefore is connecting that citizenship, that reinforcing that citizenship in Christ. Um, The second point is plural, the plural you. See, our English language um, doesn't have a plural you. Unlike like French, it has two for singular and vous for uh, you as in y'all. The closest thing we probably do have is uh, y'all, but we're not from Texas, so we don't really use it that well. Uh, so unless we're from Texas, we get it. But when we see the word you, we're thinking singular. And the second part that kind of is that the hinder against us is we live in such an individualized society so that when we see the word you, we automatically think of me. We think of myself. So when we're reading this, we start to separate ourselves from what's actually happening in the scripture. And that is, this is a letter to the church, to the people. It's not a singular you, it's a y'all. So y'all are in this scripture. The third point is that last piece that Simon already read, a poem. It's this beautiful poem, and poems are memorable. Poems are things that we tend to repeat, we memorize, we say. It's an easy to pick up and go. Um, 
And, and Paul uses this poem to reinforce the foundations of the gospel, the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. And in doing that, he is bringing us back to the thing that matters, and that's the gospel. That Jesus, God, came to this earth in human form, that he humbled himself in that position, that he died on the cross for us, and that he rose again that we can all be with him. So these three literary devices within this is just going to give us a better depth of understanding what Paul was trying to say here and how Paul was trying to connect this more to not only the church in Philippi, but the church of us today. A few years back, uh, a life, a church, the church I worked at prior to this, we, we were in a house church, a life group, and we read this book, called Radical by David Platt. And it transformed like myself and our house church, our life group, to the point like the Nagdegals are doing what they're doing because of this book actually, um, and how Christ used us as a group through that. But uh, David Platt says this, and it kind of just cuts deep. He says, I could not help but think that somewhere along the way we had missed what was radical about our faith. And we replaced it with what was comfortable. See, the church of Philippi was being persecuted. They, they had stepped into this, this faith that was opposite from what was going on. And they were facing persecution and ridicule. And they were not doing what was comfortable. And Paul wrote this letter to encourage them. Hey, hold fast. Remember your citizenship. Remember that you are bonding yourself with Christ. So we're going to look at three points of radical Christianity. Paul reminds the church and in turn reminding us that we need to be radical Christians. That first point, radical Christianity is uniting with Christ. We are being united with Christ. Verse 1, it says, therefore... Reminding that citizenship, remember? Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness, compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one spirit and one mind. Be united to Christ. Bonding ourselves to Christ. And when we do that, that spirit comes and dwells within us. And then there's this transformation that begins to happen. We are of one mind, one heart, and one purpose. And that's the kingdom of heaven. We bond to Christ like hydrogen would bond to oxygen. But if you remember in science class, maybe high school science is coming back and those who are still in high school, not Hydrogen, it can't just be one hydrogen to one oxygen. It just doesn't work. It doesn't happen. There has to be two, which brings us to our second radical Christianity. Radical Christianity is together. It's why it's important to understand that plural you, you all. We as the church, it's not me, it's we. Paul's not speaking to one particular person. He's speaking to the y'all. And he is dressing the whole church to churn us, that in turn, us as a we are the church. The church is the body of Christ. 
When we unite to Christ, we are being part of his body as one. Verse 2 and 4. That then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you the interests of others. We are to be of one mind, one heart, one purpose. And we are to put others first. It's not like uh, when I think of this, the you, and I think in the singularism, because that's what society does. I think of that Green Day song, I Walk That Lonely Road. Some of you know it, I'm sure. That's not what's happening here. We're not called to walk that lonely road. We're called to walk together. We're called to live as one church in this radical Christianity. In Mark 6, 7, Jesus sends the disciples out in pairs. Not, as, not alone. He sends them out, which is a less efficient way to go and spread the gospel. But he sends them out in pairs because we're supposed to be together. We're to stir one another on. Where, or where scripture says where there's more than one, three or more gathered, I am there. One body. If we look at the gospel, it's about together. But see, we live in a society where it's about me. And the radical way of living is we. We need to humble ourselves to each other as we journey with Christ. This book I just finished reading called Pursuing God by um, Joshua Butler says union with Jesus means communion with people. Because when I unite myself to him, his body, it's communion with you all. This past summer, this past fall, actually, I've really been experiencing this. I've always understood that uniting with Christ, but that together I got, but I've experienced it in the depth of what it was. This last fall, this summer, um, I had this diagnosis that has changed my lifestyle a little bit. And then with that, there's been some other things that have happened. I've had some triggered memories, um, hard memories, trauma, traumatic memories from my childhood come back. Some fragmented stuff that I haven't quite remembered and, and as they've been coming back, it's kind of been hard. It's been hard to journey through that and wrestle through that. And I'm part of this um, group online, this cohort, and I decided to actually share my whole story with them and, and the hurts that I've had and how some of these are coming back and, and how, like, this diagnosis has interplayed with it. But in this sharing with this community, I have experienced immense healing. I've experienced people just sitting and praying with me. I've not walked that road alone. I've walked it with people who walk with Christ as well and are loving me the way Christ would love me. As radical Christians, we are called to do it together and not alone. It is, it is opposite of what the world is saying. But we often think, you know what, I can do it by myself. I've got it. Let me just pick myself up first, and then I'll let you in. Last week, Wednesday, I believe it was, uh, Alana, Simon, and I, we meet regularly, and I was sharing with them. We go around, we're like, how are you doing? And I did. I straight up said, hey, actually, I'm having, I'm good, but I'm also struggling. 
And it was so good to be able to be in that space with them and them see me and know that you're not alone because this isn't what it's supposed to be. And then in turn, having people say, all right, and how do you see Christ in that? Pointing me back to the gospel, pointing me back to the thing that matters. Radical Christianity is also adopting an attitude of Christ. Uh, The CSB translation translates verse 5 as this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ. I love that, adopt. There's this piece of saying, yes, I am taking that on. Two of my siblings are adopted, and that was a decision my parents had to make. Yeah, we want you part of our life. We're choosing to have you here. We're choosing to call you children. Adopting is a choice. Adopt an attitude that is of Christ. When I was a teen, um, we would often talk back to my parents, as one does. And uh, my dad would say, you need an attitude adjustment. I'm sure some of you parents have probably said that to your kid. Uh, We always would be like, whatever. And then he's like, you're not allowed saying whatever. And so we'd be like, whatever. Uh, behind his back. <laughs> and, we're like, and he'd be like, what? And we just, it was like, we'd do it as siblings. It was our way to sass back. And that was, yeah, we need an ad- attitude adjustment. And clearly now as an adult, I don't need one anymore, right? I, <laughs> Paul begs to differ. So let's see what Paul has to say. See, now my attitude, I may not be saying whatever to Steve or my kids, but instead it's actually my tone. And my kid I love her. She will quickly tell me, hey, mom, you're using that tone again. And, and yeah, it's great, but she uses it. She says it in such a gentle way that it, pa- it forces me to stop and be like, wait a second. I, I need to actually think about what's happening here. She is being the together right now, actually. And we sit and we engage in the conversation and, and we talk about it. And I share, I'm like, yeah, actually I was. And I was really frustrated about this. And so my kid now gets to see how, y'all know what? I'm not perfect. But I am pursuing a God who is going to continue to transform me. Because I do. I want to adopt an attitude of that of Christ. And why not bring my kid along in that journey? And let her be part of that. See, according to Paul, we all need an attitude adjustment. And he shows us how we can adopt that attitude with this beautiful poem. This this beautiful poem that points out how we must have the same mindset as Christ. He shows it in the attitude, his attitude Jesus' attitude is reflected in the positions he had. So in verse 6 and 7, it says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The position Jesus held here, this was the position Jesus held. And it was not something he hung over people's heads. He didn't go around and be like, hey guys, I'm God, look at me. 
Let's roll out the red carpet. Come on, everybody. Every knee, like, you, you need to be praising me. You can't be treating me like this. I'm God. I created you. But instead, he chose humility. See, the position Jesus held and our attitude adjustment is humility. When I was a kid growing up, um, we'd go to my grandma's house and she would have treats. And we'd be like, Mom, can we have a treat? And Mom would be like, no, you can't. My grandma would be like, well, I'm her mom, which means I'm her boss, which means in turn I'm your boss. So you get the treat. So maybe it's not quite like that, but where have we lorded our positions over somebody else? Where have we not taken the seat of humility but allowed pride to take the seat instead? Where we're like, well, I deserve this because I did X, Y, and Z. So I should be in that spot. Instead of adjusting our attitudes, taking the position Jesus held, but with humility. He humbled himself. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. The position Jesus took here was one of surrender. So our attitude adjustment needs to be of surrender. Who are we surrendering to? And what are we holding on to? Are we surrendering to the will of society? The will of our phone? The will of the job? I just need to get this job done. Yeah, I know I've worked 40 hours, but if I just do 10 more hours, it's totally fine. My family will be fine, right? My soul will be fine if I just keep doing this. Who are we surrendering to? See, our attitude adjustment needs to be, begin with me in the collective we, where we actively surrender to the one who gave it all up for us and says, come and follow me. Jesus surrendered all of who he was. Jesus tells us to come, follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. Paul says we need this attitude adjustment. When Jesus took that position, in Matthew 26, verses 39, he says, My father, if it is all possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He surrendered it all for us. Radical Christianity is uniting with Christ, that bonding. Radical Christianity is together. It's the y'all. It's the we. Radical Christianity is adopting an attitude of Christ, choosing to take that on. And when we do, what happens? Verse 9, 10, and 11. Therefore, God exalted him in the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name and that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we live as this, as radical Christians, radical Christianity in our everyday, that's what happens, guys. Every tongue acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord and to the glory of not us, but him. 
because we are the church of Christ. We are his body. Radical Christianity is not meant to be comfortable, but it is one that radically transforms us and the people around us. It's meant to be with one another as we collectively take on the attitude of Christ. So when we take communion today, that's what it is, guys. We are taking communion in who Christ is as the body of Christ. I'm going to invite Simon up, and I'm going to just close in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for this. I thank you that you call us to what is uncomfortable. You call us to what is radical. You call us to you. And God, when we come to you, you begin to transform us to embody you into your image and glory goes to you. That is our heart. That is my heart, God. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your words. Thank you how you are so steadfast and faithful to us. In your name, amen.